everyone, welcome to another episode of Poetry Says. My name is Alice and I know I always say I'm very excited to share my latest interview with you but I am extremely excited to publish this interview, this conversation with Melinda Bufton. Melinda is a poet who I really, really admire and also just a lovely person to hang out with and I think you can hear that in our conversation. It's definitely, um, we'll put it this way, I made no edits to this, so this is exactly what it sounded like. Um, yeah, Melinda, I, as I say in my chat with her, I feel very close to her because she is a poet, but also somebody who has been through the fires of the working world, as I put it. She knows the terrors of the inbox and the meeting schedule intimately, I'm sure. And yeah, so she's talking from that perspective, but everything she has to say is just so, so useful and interesting to me as a poet. And I feel like this is a conversation that I'm going to come back to time and time again. And there's so many things in here. One of the things that I keep thinking about since we had a chat is her approach to reading and writing and the way that she's very comfortable with remixing and uh, combining sources and very much um, the opposite of what I feel like I have to do, which is start from the beginning, go through until the end and make sure you pay attention the entire time, which is very restrictive and not all that achievable. If you don't know Melinda's work, just jump down to the show notes before you listen to this and have a read of her poem that came out at the beginning of the year on Cordite I can't believe I forgot to talk to her about this poem because it's got to be one of my favorite poems from the last five years. It's called The Possible Dream, Buying Jeans Online. The title alone is enough, right? But it's just, it's so great. Got to have a read of that one. So set up a cup of tea, some biscuits, a glass of wine, and enjoy this chat with Melinda Bufton. to many poetry podcasts or many podcasts at all no no, no not many in very rarely actually and it's it's a form I love and so I don't know why mm. <clears throat> that I don't do it more but um maybe because it feels a bit like extra work like extra <laughs> <laughs> no I think it's, no I think it's delightful I think it's probably about focus because I think it will spark me into lots of thoughts mm. and that's actually probably my greatest challenge is that I think, we all think all the time, but my thoughts are <clears throat> tripping over each other almost um, to mm. get out. Yep. And sometimes I feel like it, the stimulus, the stimulation I need while I work uh, needs to be somewhat contained so that I don't uh, completely go, <laughs> I don't know, four hours later and I don't even know where my brain is. <laughs> because podcasts are so rich. Yeah. With ideas. Yeah. There's something about the human voice telling you a thought or an idea that is even more than, mm. I don't know, it's, mm. it sparks a lot. It does. I find that when I listen to the ones that I do listen to, um, that I will generally come away with 
at least some new understanding of a poem that I've been working on, if not some motivation to go and do something. Yes. Um, yeah, look, it's hopefully so... this, this conversation will do the same for you, listener. Yes, I hope please. So. We would like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of my favourite podcasts, one of my favourite poetry podcasts is called The Poetry Gods. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, that's a good name. Yeah, I know. They're, they're very... Um, I mean, I would never call my podcast <laughs> that. But they're these, like, uber-cool, the like... They're kind of... Uh, these these three uh, US poets that kind of live in that space that exists so beautifully in the US and, and not so much here, where uh, spoken word and, and page poetry, mm. academic, quote-unquote, poetry kind of, like mesh they beautifully. do they do yeah and yeah we don't quite well i don't think we really have that we have it in very small pockets yeah yeah and it's something that i like kind of am secretly or not so secretly trying to start a one woman crusade to like bring over here cool i don't i don't know why i think there's this it might just be simply just this like a cultural cringe thing i, I was just going to say i think there's yeah. a as a to my mind, there's an Australian... Like, certainly we have lots of amazing spoken word poets, but there's a... Once you move over to the, the on-the-page people, and I put myself in this category, there's a, mm. there's a very Australian reluctance to perform. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even, even, though, even though I had a long conversation with, with a couple of poets about this a few months ago, even though some of us are very aware of performance in its own right, mm. and artifice and display and the goodness of all of those things mm. and there's a lot of us who are very visual so it's an interesting thing that then there's still sort of a reluctance we were all talking about whether we needed to design a new voice for reading right. i was in a new like tone and as and in a new delivery yeah mode a new voice, like literally a performing voice, and then we all made jokes about that. About what that might sound about, like. About yeah, about Sylvia Plath going daddy, <laughs> 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 or any other sort of that's awesome plummy or large sort of voiced twentieth century yeah poet reading out their work on oh, recordings. There are some shockers. I'm trying to think <laughs> yes. who's particularly bad. Um, they're really they're of their time, I guess. Like yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I've heard, I've heard lots that are really... They're funny. Mm. So then, then we all kind of... It all dissolved because we were like, oh, we can't do that. No. But I do think about... Um, I do think about the... I still think about it and I think about performance poetry, which people love because it has music in it. Like it has yeah. musicality, music inside it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm still getting over uh, going to the finals of the slammer dammer ding dong slam <laughs> yes. and this is my first like proper encounter with slam here in melbourne mm. um earlier this year and going into the the spiegel tent and all these these lights and all these people and everyone's so right. engaged with one another and welcoming and like yes um there was so much about it that was so great mm. and i just thought Oh, how can I take some of this back with me to my sort of quieter world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I. That's what I think about too. How can yeah. I bring it over to my world? Because I don't want things to be lost. I really, I feel quite strongly for my work about the page. Like I, mm. I write for the page, 
to the point that sometimes I actually find it hard to write, read out my own work. Yeah. Because it's actually not that designed for mm. that. Mm. Um, but I still would like to think about the way that that those things could come across into this world rather than that we need to become the same. Yeah, yeah, like which elements can be applied to which poet mm. and which poem of theirs. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, not everything should be read out. Exactly. And not everything should be written down. Well, that too, yeah, that's translate. I've never thought of that. Yeah, but yeah. That's, the, that's the flip of that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's just something I've been turning over in my mind I think quite you'll, a bit. I think you'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep trying. And yeah, through various ways. Um, so my first dot point here is a question that I've been, I've had written down for every single interviewee, but I've never actually got around to asking. So I'm going to start with it with you. Cool. Which was, I want to hear about any poets or poetry styles or um, maybe even smaller elements of poetry that your opinion has changed on over time. So for me, an example of that would be the lyric I. Mm -hmm. uh, when I first started writing, I had no consciousness that the lyric I would be in any way problematic or um, uh, yeah. uh, that there might be any issues saying I. Then I kind of, through some um, just reading uh, contemporary poets, realized that no one else was doing it. And so I just <laughs> was like, ah. I guess that's not, um, all right, yeah, no eyes. Just take it all out. <laughs> not, and I didn't know out. why. I was just like, mm. it's not cool, so let's stop that. And then actually spent some time reading about it. And, and uh, last year I was at this conference in the UK and there was a uh, speaker there called Sophie Mayer who is a podcaster and poet and activist. And I actually got to interview her afterwards, which was amazing. Mm. And she talked about the lyric poem as a whole, but I think she was also referring to the eye as a pressurized zone. Mm. So kind of speaking about the fact that as a, as a female poet in particular, when you say I, people make all these assumptions about what you mean mm. and all that kind of stuff. So from that, and then also reading um, Melinda Smith's work. Yes, yes. Her recent, her most recent book, um, there were some poems in there that, that really brought me back around full circle. I was like, no, no, we need this. We need to keep using it. And it's there for a reason. And um, yeah, you know, so that's, that's like an example of something in my yeah. poetry thinking that's like changed over time. Wow. That's, that's cool. Because... But I've thought about that a lot and I've just yeah. done that expression <laughs> on you. <laughs> no, no, that's. That's completely... Well, I have sort of two answers to that. One is that... Uh, I guess I would like to offer both. Mm. One is that I I have also had difficulty with the I for similar reasons. Mm. Because one thing that I found immensely appealing when I started writing poetry again properly, which was nearly eight years ago, after always writing it privately but not really developing it and then I started in earnest yeah. um, I decided that I would like to do the thing that I enjoyed the most instead of not <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah let's do the funnest bit yeah um, and so at that point I found it extremely exciting that I could say that I could I, I was using it with awareness that that it was troubled mm. but I was uh, I guess I was using it as shorthand because I was 
writing as though I was with the assumption that when I put I, that everybody else had done the same undergraduate feminist English degree that I had, and they would <laughs> understand that that meant I or you or us or him, her, anything. Yeah, right. Any pronoun. This is multiple. Multiple, yeah. multiple, multiple subjectivities, multiple mm. options, insert whatever you like. And also to complicate that, to complicate it for other readers, not for me, I like to say, I like to interchangeably use you and I because I like to use you as the um, uh, device to pull the person in a little bit. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. But actually, often when I say you, I mean I as well. Mm, so mm. Um, what I found over time is that um, people, if they are giving me feedback on my work, they find that really complicated. Because it's and does that bother you? If it's a little complicated? bit. Yeah. Oh, no, I like it to be complicated. Yeah. It bothers me that it's not um, that that it causes a problem mm. for others. Because as I say, I'm so entrenched in this idea that it could be anything. Mm. Um, you know, um, the primarily I'm always writing as a feminist poet. That's how I approach my work. But it doesn't always look like other people's feminisms. So mm. when and this is a very retro reference, but um, DIY Feminism, which was um, edited by Kathy Bale and it was published in, I think, 1996 or 97, uh, had a lot of very zany content because yep. it was essentially an Alan and Unwin publication being made to look like the Cool Kids publications. Oh, wow. Yeah, which I kind that's of... amazing. Well, it was, although it was hilarious because it's also kind of a corporate co-opting, but that's also okay with me yeah people get upset when i say that but that is the truth i was kind of like oh that's so strange and funny it's mainstream but it's not anyway yeah. there was a there were lots of sort of little first person pieces in that and other zany elements and uh one of the quotes on here on the back by um, adelita from magic dirt said um i can be a woman i can be a slave i can be a piece of chocolate i can be a cat because <laughs> they're all it. good things. Because they're all good things. Yeah. And so that, not that I think of that quote all the time, but that's the kind of um, aesthetic. Yeah. I bring to my eye. Yeah. And yeah. so therefore, it's. <clears throat> I guess it's complicated for me when other people find it complicated. Because I'm like, no. What? What's the problem? Slave, piece of chocolate, mm. girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what's the big deal? So that's because it's really internalized in me. So mm. I've had to. Uh, I think. So it's sort of like I'm similar to you, but almost coming from the other way. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. And then I need to like um, use it more carefully now because I'm now aware of this um, uh, complication. But it's a productive complication. Like it's not a not a problem. But it probably has tempered how I use the uh, the lyric I now. Um, mm. And also, I feel like it's it's imbued with a lot of for me um, generative confessional content um and i mean um probably confessional in the way that somebody like kerry glastonbury is attempting to i think lead the charge on that it's a it's a it's a very current 2017 kind of meaning and it mm. it includes other <clears throat> it includes other sources that are really from now that are that are about subjectivity in the social media age and yeah the possibilities and multiplicities of that so I'm down with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to just mention in terms of things, something I've changed on is literally this last week um, where um, somebody I know who's a, 
um, a singer-songwriter asked me, I've never had any, I know a lot of musicians, but no one's ever asked me this before, you know, do you have any poetry that could be used for lyrics? Oh, yeah. And I said, oh, hilarious. I said, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> because I was feeling flip and confident that day. Yeah. And um, then, but the person was asking seriously, so I went home and I started to have a look, and of course I didn't, mm. because nothing I write looks like a lyric, really. Probably fragments do. Because lyrics, now I know, everybody, I've learnt a week or two later, there's repetition and there's really short syllables and there's often and there's rhyme. So the thing that mm. I have changed my mind on in the last two weeks yeah. is rhyme because I've always said, nah, I'm not doing any rhyme ever anywhere Yeah. because that was just my uh, just my particular thing. It's like I didn't even want it. I haven't ever wanted it to even sort of occur by accident or mm. right. okay. just be anywhere close to rhyme yeah. because that texture hasn't interested me. But then it's this is so it's, I'm still working through this because it's a really strange thing to then take your work. I still feel like I'm writing poetry if I'm attempting to write a lyric, mm. lyric as in song lyric, not yeah. lyric guy. Yeah. And then I have to think about well, what what am I going to choose to do here? And it's pretty funny so far. What I've done it's pretty crap because it's um, you rhyme and then you go oh, what? <laughs> but then of course you go and listen to a song by somebody amazing. It's a classic song considered to have classically good lyrics. Yeah. And all of the words that I think of as forbidden words in poetry in the 21st century, like love, yeah. you, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, love, um, uh, want, friend, and other useful sort of rhyming words, they're just all in there, of course, yeah. because that's part of the form. So this is, this is like working with the ultimate constraint mm. for me, but it's also exciting because it was like, it felt like such constraint. It felt like when people do those things where they go, um, I'm going to do collage and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do some cut-ups and I'm only allowed to use three of the words out of these, like, 40. That's how yeah. it feels to me. Yeah, like that's right, because you've got this ultimate. huge extended vocabulary that you could draw from, but if you're yep. going to successfully do that rhyming lyric yep. work. Yep. And it doesn't have to always rhyme, of course, in lyrics, but um, so yeah. that's that's very strange. It's very strange, but it's very exciting because um, it's literally like using the clay that I've always said I hate that colour. Yeah. So, really cool. But I don't hate it. Like, that's the really weird part is I don't yeah. hate it. As soon as that person said, would you do that? That was a reasonable, normal kind of request. Mm. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then... And there wasn't ever a thought of, no, I'd hate to do that because I'll have to use rhyme. It's sort of like, I'll pick up that tool yeah. or I'll pick up that, that sort of realm mm. and I'll see what happens there. So I think it'll ultimately be um, good for me. Yeah, oh, but absolutely. Also, but yeah. also exciting because of the constraint, because constraint is something that I never used to want to engage in and now I find, like everybody's always told me, it is productive or can be. Yeah, well, that's actually uh, what Toby Fitch said when I interviewed him up in Sydney. Because oh. I was saying, you know, you've got all these books that seem to come out every year. <laughs> yeah. You've got a kid and 17 jobs. And he's yes. like, yeah, I just pick a constraint and then I work with that. Which right. seems quite counterintuitive. And it doesn't but, look like that's what he's doing either. I mean, no, he has, yeah. he does even sometimes specify what the constraint has been mm. as, the, as the guiding principle. But yeah. they don't look 
like, no, that's right. Constrained it's not that kind of way. like, oh, I can see where that would have gone if you hadn't had to follow that rule. <laughs> yes. It's that, it sometimes is, you can see that. You can sort of yeah. see the seams in someone who work in that way. Yeah, for sure. And if yeah. it's, I suppose that's when it's done well. Mm. But so in terms of lyrics, um, are there particular bands or songwriters that for you have, you think might approach um, poetry? Well, th- this is the really interesting thing, and this is, I guess, why it's on my mind and why I'm talking about it, is because um, the musician knows that I'm a poet and said, by way of introduction of, have you got any lyrics I could use or any poems with any, you know, that you would like, you know, making me, but, you know, mm. have you got anything with, you know, that you'd like to kind of use? And offered by way of example, so <laughs> very thought out, um, the collaboration between um, Nick Hornby and Ben Folds, Lonely Avenue, which oh, is amazing because I'd never heard of it. Yeah. I didn't know about it, even mm. though I like both of those artists yeah. in their own right. Um, and it's been out a few years, so it's not new. I think it was 2010 or 11. So that was interesting because that's literally a collaboration that uh, is what is what poets would think of as a collaboration. It's kind of ekphrastic. Um, in a way, um, the way they did it, because uh, um, Ben Folds asked Nick Hornby to start, you know, you write a, a set of lyrics mm. or a song and send them to me and then I'll put them to music and then I'll send that back and back and forth. So they created a whole album apparently that way, which yeah. sounds really simple. I'm sure there were a bit more um, discussions in the middle. Yeah, then surely. You yeah. Kind of, yeah. I mean, they sort of talk about it in interviews. It sounds like there were... Um, there was a bit that I just thought is the classic sort of writer thing to do, even though his short story, not poetry, but um, where Ben Fox was complaining that um, he Nick Hornby had put Linguini into a lyric. Ah. And he's like, how do I, what, what am I singing about Linguini? linguini. <laughs> What's sing better than linguini? linguini? I know, right? So because we're <laughs> in a part we go, yeah, yeah, perfect. Fantastic. That's perfect. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> So that was um, that was really interesting because people have done those sorts of collaborations before, but I haven't thought about it before. Mm. And then what was really interesting in listening to parts of the album this week is that um, they have those lyrics have used a lot of unusual words, mostly yeah. still small amounts of syllables. But I'm really fixated on syllables now. But mm. they that they um, that they do tell stories because that's what he is as a storyteller. But they do that really neatly. Mm. And they, and as I was listening, I could see how people would listen to those stories. So that to me is a successful set of lyrics, the ones that you go, but what about those stories yeah. inside, though, inside there? Which, again, is absolutely contrast, or not opposite, but really contrasts my poetry because I don't want there to be mm. a clear narrative. There are narratives in there that I work with, but yeah. I don't want there to be a clear and easy through line I want it to be a bit messier than that. So um, I'm, yeah, so I'm thinking about all of these things this week. Um, I try to, if I can, keep some poetry work going that's not related to anything that has has to be done. So study, study related, research related poetry or mm. other types of something like finishing a manuscript, which is another kind of very good but formal work. Mm. I try to do something else that's a little bit less um, uh, sort of 
serious perhaps or rule bound so it feels that I can just play around in it that's, that's such a great idea I don't know why I've never thought of doing that before oh now yeah. you've got that you yeah. can do that one now yeah just to incorporate some kind of play no yes. absolutely I'm it so is. like it is it keeps it keeps yeah. the play and it's well for me it's best if those other things that you're doing are quite short mm. short they don't have to be short as in short poems but short ideas or short or quick production or something yeah something that brings energy back which then can um, infect over to my other larger projects that need mm. it usually so that brings back the energy um, yeah just proving to yourself in some small way that this is still fun it's still, still fun. like it, is. it. <laughs> I still like it it is it is actually that it is literally do that so that you remember and also do it because it speeds me up mm. um, and it's hard to explain how I suppose it's the same way people choose other whole other activities yeah. to help them like yeah. sensible things like go for a walk yeah I do that too yeah, I'm struggling at the moment because the other activity I've chosen to do ostensibly to support my poetry practice is uh, improvised comedy. Wow. Which is just a, it effectively taken over my life and now I'm not able to really concentrate on anything else. Oh, well, there is that, there is that challenge, isn't <laughs> yeah. there? Yeah. I've taken on too big of a hobby. But I like the idea of just Speaking. doing, um, yeah, just picking some small thing. Yeah, pick some small thing, do yeah. something else. Yeah. Um, Probably from my, probably from a friend of mine who's a, a visual artist who was coming back into it after a long break and just used to say, because you know you often get ideas from other art forms, and used to just say, I'm just going to do a small drawing, just yeah. that's all. Yeah. And I'm going to draw it of something, you yeah. know, like a little still life, so that I know what I'm attempting. Yeah. And then it's, I guess it's safety. That's a form of constraint too, but it's a it's a yeah it's a, it's play and it's also safety. It's also contained so that you can complete it. Yep. Completing um, being uh, important to me because it's something that uh, I think is a little bit of an Achilles heel. So mm. it doesn't really look like that, but I think that's inside. So therefore, I need to find ways to uh, go. That's done. That's done. That's done. Yeah. Things have been ticked off. They have. Yeah. 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 So, um, but the other thing I love to do, the other main uh, thing I love to do to bring my work back to where it needs to be or to bring it energy is um, just watching music videos. Oh, really? Like, yeah. Like sometimes too much. I love to do that too. Oh, Alice. <laughs> But uh, I would never have thought of it as like a, a poetic thing. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, of course. You don't at first. Yeah. <laughs> Until it finds its way in. This is mind-blowing, yeah. Oh, good. I used to love music. Like, I used to... I mean, I'm of the generation where you used to stay up and wait mm. for one more song on Rage. On Rage, of yeah. course. Mm. And I think that's part of why it's so appealing, because I was that too. Mm. Uh, that was really... Well, that was lovely because it was like the lucky dip of what's next. And yeah. You, you know, you just, yeah, that was, a, that was kind of, that was, yeah, that was great. I loved that feeling. Yeah. And as you get tighter and tighter, so you're a little bit delirious yeah. and drunk or whatever. And then also you're waiting for the what's that next. one thing. And then they'll play Tool. <laughs> well, I was going to say it, but then I was like, don't say Tool. Because then everyone did. will know. What you don't and do um, like. <laughs> I, I don't want people point. to know about the whole tool thing. I know, right? <laughs> then I'll know exactly how old we are. 
that mm. I was one of those those people. <laughs> yes, I still am. That, well, that yeah. is part of being still one of the kinds of people that you are, right? Mm. Is why I think that music videos, why YouTube is such an important part of my working day. Yeah. Um, and for a long time I thought it was procrastination and then I realised it wasn't really because I don't do it that much. Like I'll watch maybe three or four things. Mm. It's not mm. actually that much time. And then I might do it again a little bit later, watch one thing as a treat if I've written yeah. enough words, like a little, you know, special treat. Mm. But actually it's not that much, but it has to happen at the start. And I think that it's, um, it's part of connecting in with um, the right part of myself um, which predates all the parts of myself that got a little bit um, more grown up and boring. Yeah. So it's a connecting back in. Yeah. It's a connecting back into the past, but it's actually, it's it's hard to explain, but it's actually a current version of that past self, which yeah. is even better. So oh, wow. it's sort of like, and I can't, I, yeah, I haven't, I've been thinking about it a lot, but I haven't thought of a way to describe that, but that is... That's what's happening for me. Mm. And then what happens, because I think a lot about eras and fashions and times, then because I feel like there's a, the, you know, the 90s, the 90s are back in some ways um, in fashion and a little bit in culture, a little bit, a little bit. Um, so I'm seeing it in music mm. and I'm seeing some, um, I'm seeing some more, you know, cute girls playing guitar really loudly again that's good i know and they're young so it's like fresh for them that's nice it's really nice yeah. so then i get this layered effect mm. of them now me now me them me then yeah <laughs> i was never them <laughs> but you know yeah. so it's like this um that's like a symphony mm. of memory and sensory sensory stimulation yeah which is so productive yeah, that's such a great way to think about it because I think like one of the reasons that I feel uh, really close to you as a poet, even though our poetry is very different, not very different, but it is different, Yeah. Um, is that I feel that you're someone who's gone through the fire of the working world, yes. like the office world. I have, yeah. But that you definitely have come out the other side with your sense of um, more so than I, I've been able to communicate in my work so far, you've come out the other side with a sense of joy and fun. Yeah. And I always, I was thinking about when I come across a poem of yours, I feel as if it is smiling at me. Oh, that's when, beautiful. When I look at it on the page, I'm like, <laughs> like Melinda Buff did. It's kind of like, hey, hey, hey. Come, <laughs> come look at this. And it's just like... Oh, that's beautiful. And it was the same when you read for us at Sporting Poets. Um, that same Yeah, feeling. that same like just real uh, wry humour um, that is at once self-aware but not so self-depreciating as to be like uh, taking the piss out of yourself. Yeah, yeah. Like there's yep. a balance of like th these things are precious... Yes. Even though they're funny. Oh, thank you. That's amazing and exciting because that is exactly what I'm trying to do. Oh, good. Precious <laughs> and also funny. It's yeah. like sincerity, which sometimes people ward me away from using too, too um, casually because sincerity um, does have various kind of traditions in poetry, you know, mm. um, back into 
other centuries. We, let's not go back too far. <laughs> <laughs> let's not. Let's not. But sincerity is hugely important to me, but so is irony. So mm. both mm. of them mm. are present and yeah. also the preciousness is huge, a huge part of what I'm trying to do because I do, even though my work sometimes looks a little bit glib or sort of, uh, what's the word? Well, casual is probably the word, like that mm. I've casually slapped down a few words. Nobody ever does that really, casually slaps down a few words. And so everything in there is there for a reason. And so yeah. they are precious mm. and they're offering um, little um, components, mm. I suppose, of who you can be. Yeah. And I don't mean that in any sort of, um, uh, you know, um, mean kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> the day is beautiful and so are you <laughs> nothing, nothing like that <laughs> you can do it none of that <laughs> none of that but it's but but i want to offer like my my attempt in contributing to feminist poetry is to want to offer uh components mm. that you can take or leave and that again is part of my kind of education and the idea of a sort of portable um, endlessly changeable self but also it's um, it's a reality because mm, it is yeah that's what I, I love most about it is yeah. expressing that reality in this way that makes complete sense and reflects all that multiplicity and oh that's yeah. really great mm. thank you Alice <laughs> actually I, I haven't prepped you for this but no that's fine can, can I get you to read something of your own yeah sure I, uh, do you have something there that you would like to read? Otherwise, I have something here that I can No, I'll read you. what you have. Well, I, I'd love to hear you read this one. Ms. Alterity. Yeah, yeah. The, the Francis Bean one. The Francis Bean <laughs> one. Oh, this is, this is one of my favourites. Um, so I'm really glad that you asked me to read this. Um, so I'll read it first, talk about it after. That's mm -hmm. the correct order, isn't it? So it is. people can decide for themselves. Yep. <laughs> Ms. Alterity. Francis Bean's Twitter yields inviolate value and maybe turns on a few popping bulbs in my mind, of late not too shiny. She is on photo, looking like her mother, like Debbie Harry, also weirdly like Madonna's daughter Lourdes. What the fuck? How does that even work? Like some rock royalty family tree? Always someone's cousin? At several thousand removes? She has Darja as her wallpaper, and I have a neat book of poems all about that, ready in my reviewing intray. We share a cloven love of the outsider's path. March 16, she tweets the cover of Definitely Maybe and says, I swear, this album changed my life. My favourite astrologer says Courtney displays a phoenix-like eminence and I think again about how I can get witchy. Yay. <laughs> love that. Love that last line. Well, the last line is just the word witchy, but I love the last The last lines. idea. Yeah. Yeah. I love that she really did say, definitely maybe change my life. <laughs> Which, that's, that, and it needs that, it's great that that made it into a poem and the poem made it into the amazing contemporary Australian feminist poetry anthology. Yes. And it got printed hundreds of times. Yeah, thank you. I, yeah, and now, and like, that's like, um, well... There's a lot in there that's just about how I feel about, um, in a positive way, about how I feel about the, um, what would you call them? Sometimes you would want to say, like, the mothers of rock or whatever, which is just the worst phrase ever. But, mm. you know, these, like, kind of goddesses of our, um, of popular music, mm. basically. And yeah. Frances Bean, I mean, 
like, what can you say? I mean, like, you know, those endless kind of, um, she, she's a baby, you know, in our popular culture for people yeah. my age. Yeah. Right? So she's a baby and there's lots of footage of her, like, out there. And she's always, there's always a bit of footage of her when there's footage of um, Kurt Cobain or Courtney Love. There's always some of them with her as well mm. for a photograph. That's part of it. So she's part of the canon. Yeah, she is. <laughs> but she's part of the yeah. Canada's baby. And so then, of course, she's not. She's a real person. She's grown up. She emancipated herself from her mum at one point. Now mm. they sometimes talk, I think. Fine. That's okay because she's a person and she's having her own life. But then also when I found she had a Twitter account and it was just delightfully... How do I put it? It was delightfully her discovering and from the Twitter. I mean, how can how much can you know of a person? But it was her just saying, I like this. Mm. I like this album. This is a cool picture. <laughs> like, it was just <laughs> really like as though she wasn't their children, their child. Yeah. Like, so that was bizarre and beautiful. And also you've got to say what choice does she have? Mm. What choice does she have? And who will know? And I'm sure she keeps a lot of her world private which is probably really healthy mm. but also um how could i not write about that yeah absolutely like, absolutely that was just that made me laugh out loud when she said this album changed my life and since i read somewhere that she doesn't really like grunge which fair enough most people aren't going to get off on the stuff their parents were into no that's right <laughs> or produced yeah. or we're like the most you know shiny example of or whatever yeah so of course. Yeah. But still, she likes she likes Britpop apparently. But that's okay. also interesting that she likes Britpop, because that she likes the the music of that era. Yeah, just so that, not her. Just not her dad's, dad's thing, stuff, yeah. right? So then that's also interesting because that, yeah. and again, I'm treating her like a text. Of course, I am, and objecting a bit objectifying her in that manner. Mm. But that's very interesting in itself because that's like a strange echo mm. that she's listening to at Oasis. Exactly. Yeah. The 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 echoing. That's that's exactly why this appeals to me so much. I think is because it's recognizing that intergenerational echo. Because mm. um, something that I think no one ever really gets over, and I'm certainly finding that I'm not able to get over, is how permanent all that stuff felt at the time, oh, yes. and how incredibly ephemeral it actually is. Oh yes. And so this this poem says that to me in a way that that shows how complicated that is and how uh, funny yet sort of a little bit bittersweet and, and t- totally. sort of painful. Oh, completely. Because, because yeah. It, yeah, because it lives in us too. Yeah, yeah. And Frances Bean is, like, important to us. She <laughs> is, <laughs> right? She's like, she's like, she's like, um, my mum's generation, you know, my mum doesn't do this, but, you know, mum's generation getting, you know, a little bit um, emotional over a baby picture of Prince William. Yeah. Because, like, she's like our Prince William because she's, for want of a better term, <laughs> because she, yeah. she is important to us. Mm. And um, it was, honestly, I remember my dad saying once years ago, uh, in the late 80s, he just said once in a passing comment, babies aren't very fashionable anymore. Or children, having oh, children's right. not fashionable anymore. Wow. And he was right. And then it became fashionable. Then it became again. very fashionable. Then it became super. Now it's like way the thing. But, yeah, totally. But, <laughs> totally. but when they had Francis Bean, that certainly wasn't fashionable. Yeah. Because like they, your life is over. Totally. There yeah. was that belief 
Mm. That was part of the culture mm. because I believe that the culture back then was still emerging out of the 70s and 60s where being a rock star you had to actively or visibly anyway reject many normal things. Of course people didn't because they have multifaceted lives. Yep. But for their image or for their projection out to the world, mm. then you're not going to be having a baby. So then they had a baby. So then suddenly it seemed really rock yeah. <laughs> to do that. Yeah, because... I never thought about that before. Maybe that explains a lot about my own attitude Maybe. Towards having kids. Like, oh, yeah. That, well, I don't, yeah. Well, it did for me. But. Um, Just that it wasn't like reinforced, like, this yes. is what you do. Also, this is very pretty and lovely. Yes. And you will have yes. uh, blue ivy and you will have. Uh, <laughs> yes, right. Because saint. now that's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now you'll have saint. Because yeah. that became, by then, by now, mm. that is part of the package. And you can dress your kids really cool because now they make tiny little skinny jeans like, like, oh, so, no. and stuff so <laughs> you can have that and yeah. you can have that yeah you can and have, so all, all you have it all things, yeah, yeah. And, mm. and also everyone's dressed well so mm. there's a sort of a yeah that's a that's a shift that's a shift in our culture mm. but but yeah she's the same for me Frances Bean so in some senses I was waiting for her to grow up to see what would happen yeah I don't mean that in a macabre way but I was and then she has this kind of very light footprint on the world it also it looks to me certainly mm. google google wise mm. um but we also don't see her in much media and we don't see her she pops up occasionally but yeah she's not very traceable which is also really interesting yeah um and it, well and to it i mean we all google stuff all the time um so it's always a little bit intriguing right now at this moment in history when someone's not that Found. Yeah, that is it always signals like something. Signals something. So yeah. There's some kind of intentionality around that, probably. Yes, I would say. Yeah. But I, but I was I was delighted that I could get enough of her, you know. Yeah. <laughs> textually yeah, speaking, yeah, yeah. to get her in that. Yeah. Oh, thank you for reading that for me. Um, I want to come around to the poets that you mentioned uh, as we were chatting about doing this recording. Mm. Um, and so you mentioned Ed Dawn. Mm. Duncan Hose mm. and the anthology Girlesque, which is put together by Lara Glenham and Ariel Greenberg. Mm. And um, I was really excited about what you said by email, which was that you have a practice of using texts and poets in multiples, but not necessarily doing a deep dive on them. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I have always read poetry like that. Um, I still do, even though I have now a lot more access to a, a lot more knowledge about people I could be reading or amazing books. And there's just so much now available to me now that I've kind of entered this world properly of mm. poetry. Um, however, having said that, I stick to my basic plan because it works for my knowledge of poetry, but it also works for my mainly for my practice of writing, which is to read, read multiply, which is to read things simultaneously. Um, which is um, always done. I, I very rarely just pick up one book of poetry at a time. I usually grab a few and sit with them and read various bits out of them mm. to just see what happens in my thoughts. So it's not. It's it's a bit more than just a prompt. It's a type of prompt, but it's a sampling. Like I mm. think of it as sampling. Sampling not to lift people's words into my work. I don't do that. But sampling um, moods or sampling. Uh, aesthetics definitely 
um, but also just because it's a delightful way. Like we were talking about how somehow that feels, occasionally I feel a little bit guilty that when people do ask me about a poet and I say someone like, oh, Ed Dawn, I go, oh yeah, I really like it reading a bit of Ed Dawn, and then I have to look up. <laughs> yeah, which when, poem was that that yeah, he actually I, wrote? Yeah. yeah, which poem, which poems, but which poems? And I go, oh. Yeah. Uh, so then I have to look up poems, then I also have to look up the titles of their books, and yeah. I also have to look up when they were born. <laughs> same, completely the same. I'm, I'm hopeless at like being able to bring into conversation immediately, like, yeah, this poet's... Um, relates to this. Yeah, yeah, they're... they're just any pertinent fact it just escapes any me. pertinent fact and that's that's kind of um i've sort of done that all my life with um other art forms too i don't always remember titles of songs or names of visual artists so i guess i have this visual memory or a, a synesthetic kind of memory mm. that w works really well for me but it's not good on details <laughs> yeah same not good totally. on details and so yeah. so that's it's related to that but what that does is it it puts me in this kind of thought bath of stuff and I really like that because uh, if you sometimes switch between things quite fast you get even more from them somehow so yeah it doesn't it's not a deep dive and it's not uh, it's not I mean there are certain people I always will read everything I write but but that's not the purpose that's not how I'm doing it I'm doing it in a different way where I use mm. use um, content and build it um, build it kind of um, through the reading experience yeah so uh, so those those books those that I those poets and books that I mentioned uh, they're basically like a that's like a recent mix mm. a recent mix that like I'm a using. mixtape yeah. yeah it's like a mixtape it is yeah. like a mixtape so it's like making my own mixtapes mm. and then just accessing them for a week or so and then moving to a different mixtape mm. um, that, though having said that those those three are high on rotation <laughs> and they're very important to me all for different things but uh but that's a good mix and then i'll move to something else and it's not actually always well thought through sometimes it's literally just a messy desk mm. and just picking something up uh so it's a practice and it's conscious but it's a bit random yeah it's a bit randomized as well and that's on purpose too yeah uh, so the Ed, I'm going to read the little um, the Ed Dawn poem that I read the other day that made me laugh a lot. Um, and so this is from uh, a little book um, that was originally entitled um, Japanese Neon and then was republished as Yellow Lola, which that just sounds completely contemporary to me and that's why I like it. But it was published in 1981. It's gorgeous too. And it's gorgeous. It's got the good paper. Yeah. It's got the proper printing, like that fill that, fill that page. I'm just letting Alice fill the page. Feels good, guys. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's good, good paper. <laughs> um, it's a lovely little edition. Uh, so this this book has a lot of really micro poems in it, oh, which are good for great. the good for the mix. Yeah, yes, good for the mixtape. And it's called a discovery. The extremist pleasure is to step on the devil's neck. And yet to enjoy the use of him. Ooh. <laughs> nice. I know. Nicely done. I know. I love if there's devil in a poem. That's why I have Duncan Bones. There's devil in his poems. Um, yeah. Just. And then this, listen to this also at a random page, which is very po-faced, I would say. Mm. Untitled. The poet must always be loyal to the poem, no matter what other forms may beckon. 
Oh, okay, yeah, I would have lots to say about that. Oh, exactly. We just we already have said some things about that. <laughs> like that just goes straight to the heart of my guilt at the moment. It's like, yep, not very loyal to the poem right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dear. You're no, you're fine. You've got your, you've got fish. You're frying, and it's working. So, <laughs> Thank you. So no, no, Ed. But um, but so he feels contemporary. And also, he has a, to me, to my mind, his language and the way he jumps straight into an idea actually feels a lot le- like a lot of the poetry in the Girlesque Anthology. Yeah, cool. So if I read, um, uh, and actually Chelsea Minnis inside the Girlesque Anthology does reference him. So I feel like he's like a girl poet, yeah, nice. frankly, even though he was a man and he lived, not to get too into gender, binary gender I'm not everybody um but you know he lived in the 20th century and he was you know associated with the black mountain poets which is you know reasonably blokey yeah sort of movement yeah blokey poetry movement with some rules um though he's not um apparently he would argue um his association was just about proximity Mm. location he was there at the time is it funny how most poets have that in their bio they say associated oh, with yes. the black mountain school or associated but, with um, the imagist movement however they said no that's right. not that that's right anything but not that. that anything <laughs> anything you say i am i'm not, I'm not okay please don't let i miss will the not point. be no i'm not new wave yeah. i'm not no i will not be called that yeah that's all right it's hilarious it's pretty funny um and so the girlesque anthology I read all the time and I have done ever since I bought it about seven years ago and it's a possible it's possible that anyone that's ever heard me speak or read is even tired of me talking about this but it is important for lots of reasons to my work because what happened for me and I like I like to be able to it's good to get this on the public record <laughs> because this is this is strange you know there's this thing that happens where sometimes people will write a certain poem or a series of poems and someone will say oh that's just like such and such and you go oh I've never read that person mm. and then you go back and read them and then you realize it is I'm not the only one who's experienced that that's a quite a common phenomenon yeah and it's a strange thing because you think how is that possible um I don't know but it happens you know we all come from a, a mixture of influences I suppose but when I was returning to poetry properly nearly eight years ago, I wasn't sure what I was doing, but I had some ideas about what I was trying to do. And so that that Ms. Alterity poem is a good example, even though I wrote that reasonably recently. That's a good example of exactly what I was trying to do in some ways to bring a kind of pop sensibility into poetry that mm. made sense to me, that was different to other people's. Yeah. And made use of the feminine and um, female and all the versions of girlness you could imagine Mm. and then while I was busy learning that for myself working what out out what I wanted that to be I found this anthology in collective works um, girlesque so um, and delightfully Chris Hemmingsley said oh yes we're trying to get in some more young person young person poems or young young person books or something yeah yeah I went in there the other day and I told him I was interviewing you for a podcast and he said oh that's such a world away from I don't, I don't really know what he meant but I was like uh, <laughs> look it's just radio or the internet it's fine oh, it's all yeah, good it's Chris. okay yeah. <laughs> that's funny <laughs> that's funny I like that well and so this book um, is uh, the girlesque 
which likes to say it's in the same way that poets say I'm only I'm not associated with that movement likes to say we're not a movement and we're not a style we're not at anything it's just that we've got this bunch of poems together that we thought were doing a thing that was interesting mm-hmm. and that we think is a type of uh, third wave feminist act so that's really as far as they the the two editors want to define it although um, Lara Glenn did do a, a PhD or an MFA on it so she was happy to define it there mm. but for this the purposes of this book they were just kind of going okay this is interesting work we think um, and it it echoed the things that I was doing but it was published before I was doing them. So that was another interesting sort of time thing because I didn't know about this. Mm. I didn't know about that this was happening. But it was very exciting when I found it because then I knew where I was coming from. Yeah, and that's it was, great. Yeah, it was amazing. Mm. And, and I also wasn't surprised that that's an American publication because a lot of my cultural reference points are American and I know that I am that kind of Australian child who watched a lot of television. Like, you know, David Foster Wells talks about just watching television, you know, hours a day. Yeah. So did I. Yeah. <laughs> and I was watching his television. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. You know, most importantly, as we all did in Australia then. So, uh, therefore, no surprises. And music, another thing. Mm. And so I really like, I'm going to read, is that okay if I read a poem? Oh, please. Yeah, go ahead. So I'm going to read some Chelsea Minutes. And I like this one. This is not the Ed Dawn one. This is a different one. And it's called Tiger D. I am a tiger or a daughter or both. Of course, I'm a tiger and a daughter, but I'm a show tiger. Everyone demands it because of my deep fur. I like to fall in love with my trainers. There is a desire to touch tigers and there is a desire to hold them, so I'm not entirely lost. I'm meant to parade my fur and growl. In addition, I'm a good show daughter, but only for show. I don't like my servitude as a tiger, but I like baby bottles of cream. As a daughter, I am ferocious, but as a tiger, I must be pleasing, which is impossible, so I do not wish it. As a daughter, I am horrid, which is my wish. She-tigers can be dangerous and drowsy, which means they're content. As a tiger, I'm more drugged and more soft in the fur, and therefore more valuable to the blind. As a daughter, I can be amused, but as a tiger, I cannot be amused, or I will turn murderous. But if I'm a tiger and a daughter, then I'd better be good. I'd better reform myself to receive practical instruction and not be a slutto. It is bad to be a daughter, but worse to be a tiger. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. Baby bottles of cream. Baby bottles of cream. That is... Which is like the centre, literally, of yeah. that poem. Yeah. And um... also this thing where she's better be pre- get some practical instruction and not be a slutto is the kind of language that I was using before I read this book yeah. where you take something that's, you know, it's, it's kind of obvious move, but yeah. you take something that's, you know, that kind of um, bad girl taboo word and then you just like put O on the end or you just put <laughs> Y on the end, slutty, yeah. and slutty's already a word, but, you know, you just you just um, girly it up a bit more mm. and make fun with it. Yeah. Not make fun of it, but make fun with it. Yeah. And better not be a slut <laughs> <laughs> Or a tiger. Oh, yeah. yes, I am. Yeah. Which I love. I love how each of those lines uh, seems to start out in a very straightforward way and then kind of doubles back at the end. Yes. Really and it contradicts cool. itself in a way too, which is also really great because I enjoy um, enjoy spending time with poetry that does that. Mm. I mean, that's the ultimate freedom of poetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it takes a certain... 
confidence, um, yeah, to just kind of go and to just swerve like that. Yes. And just be like, this yes. is going to be okay. Yes, swerve. Mm. That's right. It's a mm. swerving. It's going to be okay. And I think you can be more in the driver's seat. I'm sure lots of writers would disagree, but I think you can be more in the driver's seat with that movement mm. in a poem than you can in other forms. And you can make that choice. It feels endlessly uh, free. I feel like you can make that choice at any time, mm. any line. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the part that blows my mind and makes me happy is that you can just keep doing that. Mm. Mm. It's like endless, delightful kind of content and yeah. possibility and form and play. And, and, and the other thing I want to read, I just used air quotes, everybody, is um, <laughs> I'm not going to read a Duncan Ho's poem. I just want to read... Um, say the title of one of his poems it's my favorite um of his titles and one of my favorite poetry titles ever annabelle lee weekend girlfriend of elston week oh my god duncan hose <laughs> you make me angry <laughs> because you are so funny and amazing and i can't deal with it i know i can't deal with it i know just, it's too funny and it's yeah. funny like you can see why i read in these circles like yeah yeah because look at all that just in those three yeah so that's what you need you don't need a poem after that just stick with it <laughs> i mean the type the poem's great too but i just love that that's yeah i just love that i love that after i love that after the tiger and i love that after ed dawn yeah with the devil of your foot in the devil's neck mm. and i also would then this is this is like what would happen is then after i've read about that and i've then read about the tiger mm. then i'll remember about la tigra and i'll go and watch some la tigra and then i'll go yeah. oh, okay good now i'm good like it's like a refresh back into um the right mode yeah i love how what you're describing is so i know that you said that there was an element of guilt involved because um, maybe in academic circles there is an expectation that you're going to read straight down yeah, uh, from yeah. the top to the bottom but yeah. um, it doesn't sound like that bothers you too much or at least if it does bother you you're going to just keep moving anyway. I'm going to keep doing it anyway. Yeah, yeah. it is, it is um, it's, a, it's a kind of, it's a creative tension I suppose that I had, I'd call it a creative rather than generative, it's a creative tension because I do... I will keep doing it like this because mm. it's useful to my work. Then engaging in reading in different ways for different purposes um, is challenging for me because um, academic work, for example, does require you to read down and across mm. and check check contexts and check dates and references. Mm. And, and I do love the way that makes me feel, but it is harder for me to do that. And I, um, I am engaged in that now and I knew that that would be one of my challenges mm. and then like the secondary challenge um, hi my supervisors um, is <laughs> getting that onto the page because mm. that darting around thinking means that I can oh no, I'm not the only person that has trouble with that but that thinking um, getting caught up in big ideas but needing to actually ground that mm. and systematically talk about that is a massive challenge but also it's really valuable to me and I want to I do want to record and ground some of that thinking. So mm. perhaps, perhaps it's because of the way that I read and think that I really feel like I need to record for myself, record in a form that is a bit more 
I would be followed by my by myself later. So like yeah. if I'm writing, I feel like writing a thesis, even the creative aspect, is like writing a big letter to myself so that I know so that I can refer to it mm. later. Because otherwise they'll there won't be much of substance left. That's exactly right. Right, okay. I mean, I, I will, in some ways I could continue without ever doing that. That wouldn't hurt my poetry, mm. but I'm interested in what it can do for my poetry. Mm. And it's very healthy for me to put myself in a position where I'm forced to create that in a different a different mode, a different form, uh, academic writing, and also creative writing poetry written for a project, yeah. which is a different... Uh, that requires a different approach for me. Mm, mm. Um, still similar, but a different, slightly tweaked. So, yeah, so it's a, it's a little bit perverse sounding because it sounds like I don't want to do that, but I do want to do it. It's in, Yeah, it, it sounds like, yeah, both and, um, mm. which I totally get. Both and. Sure. and. And also because I think that any sustained activity in your life that's quite, um, that requires a lot of work, is going to find its way somehow into your work. It does for me, it doesn't for mm. everybody. Mm. But even if it doesn't find its way in, in a literal sense, um, it will in other ways. Yeah, even just the practice of sitting down every day or, totally. or yeah, having yeah. that kind of sustained attention. Yes. Um, and that, that, yeah. can, that can help, I mean, or, yeah, that can help your poetry in ways you don't know yet. So mm. that's part of the experiment and that's the other reason I do it is because I want to... Um, see what happens to the poetry uh so yeah that this this flighty sort of pleasure reading in in multiples mm. which i love i will never stop doing but it at times maybe needs to be counted or weighted by other activities and that's what um that's what doing a phd is doing for me right now mm. Mm. um yeah yeah and it, it makes you use language different i mean that's not You'll use language differently once you're writing in some other way, mm. uh, for better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just another language. It's another language. It is another language. That I keep coming back to that when I talk to people about um, the a- academic side of the poetry world is that there is a there is a language that you basically must learn to access yes, it. You must. Um, it's a discipline. Yeah, as you say, for better or worse. I think there's there's a lot to be gained, but it is a, you know, it's it's uh, there's a high wall around it. In oh, some ways. yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. And of course, it's it's a risk. Like mm. it's it's an exciting. Like I feel like I was at a point where it was a very exciting risk to take, and um, the right type of yeah, the right time to push myself that way and see what yeah. happens. Yeah. So definitely the right thing, but also um, you can't predict what it will do for your work and you can't predict how you will learn that language, mm. um, how that will go for you, yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or what the output's going to look like, which is also um, a little bit fraught, um, but also really potentially exciting. So one thing I've learned is that I can write poems quickly and much more quickly than I thought because I had to. Yeah. So because you go and that is like sometimes that's confronting because you can, you know, look through the all the draft material and go, Oh, look at that. I don't even remember. What was that? Whatever. But there's <laughs> there's nothing like um, you know, that you, you need to produce so many poems or so much poetry, however you're designing your project, 
there's just no choice. You've got to. So just you've got to through. work out how to get there. Speed is not the only way, but that was a good. Um, that was a good. Um, that was good for me. Just go really fast and see what happens. Mm, mm. Um, and it still needs work, but that was interesting. That's already one outcome yeah. of the experiment. It is. You have a lot of excitement when you talk about it, which is really great to hear. Um, I haven't met many people doing PhDs who sound, <laughs> sound excited. excited, especially two and a half years in, which is where you Yeah, are. two and a half years in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think, I mean, I don't every day feel excited. No, of course not. Of <laughs> no. course not. But, um, but, but I'm talking think, about it in general terms. Oh, in general terms. Yeah. I think it is exciting. I mean, I have, I have amazing supervisors who are the editors of the Contemporary Australian Feminist Poetry Collection that we mentioned before, Bonnie Cassidy and Jess Wilkinson. Mm -hmm. So that's a bit of a dream team. Like that is um, an amazing opportunity to work with two people who are very, and be guided by two people who are very um, hooked into the type of poetry that I'm writing and the reasons that I'm writing it because they understand what that looks like or can look like. Having said that, what I love also is that that's not exactly what they do either. They're doing, they do work that's sympathetic to those aims, but mm. it's different again. So their work is different to mine. Their work is different to the things they anthologised. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so they've got, and they also both have other research interests that are completely other. Mm. So there's enough overlap to have a lot of very good understanding. This, this work that I do, the poetry that I write could risk if you had the wrong supervisor, they might not understand what you were attempting. And just as with Chelsea Minnis and her tiger poem had, there was a review of hers where the person said, look, it's fun, but at the end of the day, it just feels like so many words that could be kind of, you could be reading this page or that page, or you could be, it's kind of endlessly replicating. Maybe it's, what's the point kind of thing? You know, mm, what's the mm. point to that? Like, mm -hmm. what does this poetry do? Um, I know that people could misinterpret what I'm doing as something a little bit like that, where um, if there's repetition or if there's simplicity in form or if there's playfulness, that can be seen as, um, uh, I don't know, it's almost like not seen as a serious uh, endeavour. Yeah, yeah. Or, or not being done for particular reasons. I know what you mean. I can, I can imagine that. And like you said, it's kind of like, in a way, you are depending a little bit on your readership having that extra understanding. But then what artist isn't, I suppose? Oh, exactly. Yeah. I know. That's what I think too. Like yeah. I think, well, yeah, you need you need them to kind of know a little bit about what you're trying to do. And then you yeah. go, well, no, that's – everybody does, but that's really – you can't control that. Of course you can't. So All you can really do is put some barbs out there that <laughs> yeah. are going to hook people in because like – yes. Coming back to musicians of the nineties, yes, there was so much under the surface of those albums that, oh. that I grew up to mm -hmm. that you were able to really like, like I would never have found Bill Hicks. Yeah, right. Um, I would never have like all the crazy ass stuff I learned through loving Tori Amos so much. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> you know, like, of course we did. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even need to say. Of but, course. But yeah, then, yeah. Well, she's a, she's she's also a musician, musician's musician, isn't she? As well, well yeah. as, as they say. But then she puts you you put out a little hook. Yes. Like a cornflake girl or something like that, and yes. you go or professional widows like come in, come in and see what's in this room, absolutely. and then you come in and you go, oh, there's all this stuff in here. Yes, absolutely. Mm. That is really really true, mm. and. That's why it's so important to me to include that content because it not only has that thing we were talking before of keeping that alive, it also feels um, feels more necessary than ever mm. um, from a feminist perspective, but also from somehow from a societal perspective. I don't know. It's 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 just um, it's it's. It's got an energy and a vital kind of um, anger in it mm. that resonates through time a little. So I do think, I do think it's hugely yes. Those people show you the way to things. Yeah, and that is also um, something that I'm trying to do. Look, essentially, you know, another thing that I mean, it sounds like I'm being reducing it down, and I'm not. But essentially, um, when I started to try and write this type of work, which felt like exactly the work I needed to do. I was, I believed I was contributing something that was already had been happening for a long time in music and visual art and other forms because, and it does happen in poetry now too, mm. it mm. has been for several years, uh, but it took a little while to occur, I think, into the poetry world. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Everywhere, you know. So um, I just watched um, the beginning of... Um, the punk singer, the documentary on Kathleen Hannah. Oh, that's great! Isn't it? You're gonna love it. Yeah, I only yeah. saw the start, and I've now I've got it on the way. Oh, coming. good, good, good. Yeah, on DVD because why not? Because <laughs> you know, old yeah, school. Good. Um, but because I, because <laughs> I like that. Um, but how about at the start when when she says she went to a party and met Kathy Acker, and Kathy Acker said, "Don't do spoken word. Nobody listens to poetry. Go and be in a band." Oh, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, that I was a little bit heartbreaking, but it look, was heartbreaking, true. But it was also true <laughs> and sort of great because then you yeah. kind of go, oh, okay. So she was doing what she was doing mm. anyway mm. in music instead of in spoken word. It is heartbreaking. So the poets are like, "That's good." No, imagine. But also, <laughs> also that makes sense to me. And I'm not, I'm not saying any of it can occur in any form. But I'm just saying that what I wanted to do in poetry was to get it in the poetry. Yeah. Because why wasn't it in the poetry? Mm, like that's where mm, I wanted mm. to be. Yeah, particularly. Do you think it's fair to say that particularly in Australian poetry that was missing? Like it would have been easier to yes. find in the US. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's that's. I mean, obviously, I hadn't scratched the surface very hard because you know I found that girl anthology and then I was like, oh right, so it has been happening <laughs> over there. Over there. And also yeah. in, in Canada. Okay. Uh, so I mean, as as two obvious examples. So and mm. a little bit in the UK, but not as much in my kind of discoveries mm. but um yes of course it had been happening in the u.s and i would say it hadn't been happening here and yeah. i i have never really got to the bottom of why and um i imagine that it might have been i get nervous about saying this because i don't want people to feel like i um, really do think there were gatekeepers but i think there were certain types of um, feminist poetry that had to be performed a certain way um, mm. and in performing certain types of feminist content um, I get a little bit in trouble when I say that like I'm having a go because I'm not the second wave feminists who I'm talking about educated me into feminism 
Yeah, both in you know literary criticism, you know novels and poetry, and that was really important to my education. So that's no problem there. Mm. But then there was a little bit of a sort of middle bit um, from the nineties to now, <laughs> where uh, then where was where was that, for want of a better word, punk attitude? Like where was that occurring in spoken word, probably? Yeah, yeah. Um, and in maybe just also maybe just in other art forms, like yeah. maybe um, you know, um, certainly visual art. Um, maybe uh, maybe it went to to zine culture too. And zine culture, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a really exactly. Yeah. That's a very good. If really, I had to guess. Yeah. It would, yeah, no, yeah. you're right. That would be where it went. Mm. Like, that certainly, like, people weren't not reading Emily Dickinson and writing some angry girl poetry. They were doing it, <laughs> right, somewhere. But, yeah, yeah. and maybe that's, so maybe, that's about, um, maybe that's about cultural gatekeepers and about what was seen as um, appropriate. And in saying all of that, carefully wrapped up in carefulness, um, but there were plenty of other categories of, of poetry not being heard or read or seen either or that was either existing but not being considered to be real poetry or uh, or just not known yeah. about. So there are heaps of examples of that. So I would never, ever say that it's only feminist poetry. No, absolutely, um, yes. Yeah, but there was a strange time in the middle where yeah. I don't know where it... This wasn't happening, so we weren't, we weren't seeing things like the contemporary Australian feminist poetry anthology was not happening. We had no. feminist anthologies and they were occasional during that sort of 90s and onwards time and they focused on um more things um more other feminist other feminist concerns motherhood body mm. um body and jess talk about that in the introduction yeah they There's do a lot of yeah mother mother body nexus yeah um and also some other probably some strands of continental feminism still finding its way in mm. which is fine There's yeah nothing wrong with those things nothing wrong with that but I like this. Yeah. <laughs> so. And and I think, like, I don't... I'm certainly not well-informed enough to make any kind of, like, huge overarching statement about this, but I, a friend of mine um, very kindly bought me from the Salvos in Canberra a Best Australian Anthology from 2009. And I was, I was yes. struck looking at it. I was thinking, God, this is so different. I know. To how it is even eight years later. That yeah. two th- I've looked at the 2008 and 2009 mm. one, editions yeah. and I yeah. feel exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, it's, so interesting. It was yeah. like that was still... That was still preparing and offering and, and publishing certain types of poetry and yep. I'm, I'm not being down on any category i really am not but mm. it was um and and look a lot of it people would um also fairly trace back to market forces where prior to the 90s in even in the 80s you still had major publishers publishing poetry yeah like penguin like mm. crazy crazy times yeah um, <laughs> penguin publishing australian or at least angus and robertson published australian poets yeah there were lots of still conventional publishing routes for mm. poets um no i mean not like all poets got published they still no poets ever made money unless they still didn't get what they needed but but there was some um there were some other ways that were chopped off by mm. the 90s so then um then i suppose you had yeah i mean there's always uh movements and factions within poetry so i suppose people probably went their own way trying to work out how to do what they were doing yeah it got diffused and, and diffused, then yeah people like, 
were in a way more free. Yeah. Less even. Yeah. Even yes. less money was available. Even less money. And that's right. And then it right. became essentially what Robert would explain to me is just like a gift economy. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And he and he wouldn't quite rightly. Yeah. And it wasn't it, that takes a while because there were probably bits and pieces of ways that you could still get bits and pieces of money or recognition that allowed you to still believe that maybe it would come good again. Yeah, I think we're past yeah. that now. We're totally past that. <laughs> we are so Although people past still that. get Ozco grants, but they that's do. kind of like that. That's the top, right? Like right, that yeah. was just normal before. I mean, yeah. like normal. I say that, and I'm sure there's pe- people older than me who would just want to hit me over the head <laughs> because it's not like they were just all running around with money everywhere. But it was a doable thing, mm. Mm. and certainly novelists got more. But you know, there were there were ways, and yeah. that was one of them. Mm. And now that is the pinnacle, and that was that is something that's shifted dramatically the last 20 years that mm. was that that just just you know it's just from one extreme to another almost yeah yeah which i i think now having this conversation i'm realizing like isn't all bad oh i don't think it's bad yeah in fact um for me i i love it because i would i would not want to be in i would not want to be operating in a form that was that was commercially driven because it's too complex and it it um, it's not that I'm I believe in the purity of poetry you know as being somehow different or special it's more just that with this gift economy it's complicated I would love for all poets to be paid and paid properly so I I say this also carefully I want that on the one hand on the other hand when there is no money you just do stuff and it's pretty exciting and that that's a given. That's a that's a that's a traditional part of artistic production. Mm. That when there's no money, people will make do with what they can, including time, um, and they will make do with uh, materials and ideas. And they will also be free, in some senses, to say and do things in the work that they wouldn't be able to otherwise. Mm, mm, there's no, yeah. I mean, just like there's no there's no limits. I think there's no limits. And a couple of my friends would say that's because nobody's reading anyway. <laughs> I don't think that's true at all. It's not true, but it's a yeah. funny joke. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can say anything you like because you want, no one's yeah. going no to censor you because who's going to censor you? Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, well, we can let them have that. Yeah. Um, that kind of brings me to my final question on my list here. And you've spoken a little bit about this already in terms of uh, YouTube. Mm. and uh, music videos but I'm wondering what other things you do outside of writing that keep you like healthy and ready and (laughs) happy to keep sitting down at the desk each day (laughs) that's a really I'm laughing because I'm thinking a lot about that because I'm a late late stage PhD student I'm not doing really enough of any of those things no I'm sure that's true actually yeah (laughs) but um but I do I do yes I do have things and I treat them either as everyday everyday sort of um routines that are reassuring to me even though I complain about them and one of those things is paid work which I generally always do some of I do less of it now right now that I'm doing the PhD but I still do a little bit Mm. and um I've come to realise over my work life um, that I actually do love what um, work that's not poetry related does for me. And it's sometimes it is it's very repetitive nature or mundane nature or 
um, you know, coffee mugs saying you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps. That element. <laughs> Remind me again why I love this job. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my, your lack of planning does not constitute my emergency. When yeah. people have that stuff above their desk. Stuff. I love that one too. <laughs> Usually by someone with no sense of humour. Yeah. But um, I do kind of love all of that, even though I complain about it sometimes. Mm. So actually working is one thing, working in a completely unrelated field. But also, um, um, also just like some, um, like, you know, daggy sort of trying to go for a run. I'm really not athletic at all, but, um, I try to, you know, access the physical because I get so inside my brain, the older I get, the more I think I need to actually just do things with my body so that my brain can get on with other stuff. Like, so it's all, you know, we're all one and I tended to just think of myself as like a, a head just yeah, head around. on a stick. Head yeah. on a stick, yeah. yeah. So, so, um, but it's really daggy. It's like go to the local um, little football oval and then like just about kill myself running around it because, because you know that's all I've got. <laughs> I don't think that's daggy at all. I think what I think's interesting is that uh, when I talk to poets about this kind of thing, especially like on the record in any way, mm. we're all very like me included. We're all very shy about our physical oh, yes. practices, whatever oh, they might yes. be. Because it's almost taboo, I think. It's, it's weird. weird. It's really weird. There's just on that, I want to say this little tiny little snippet of story that I came across when I was researching for my thesis and I was looking at the everyday and feminism in everyday and mm. people's own kind of personal stories. I came across this great article and I, I haven't refound it and I need to find it so I can't attribute the author, but she was talking about doing her doctoral research, it was an American academic, doing her doctoral research while she had a part-time job as an aerobics instructor. Oh, that's cool. It was very cool, but yeah. trying to keep the worlds separate. Oh, she so didn't want anyone to know. She didn't want anyone to know at yeah. uni because she thought it would sound really like lame that she was Amazing. an aerobics instructor because it was so sort of fluffy and kind of girly and also sort of not serious, right? Because yeah. it's aerobics. But yeah. she loved her aerobics job. And then she, she took more shifts at aerobics and, you know, she was really into it. And then they put her on a billboard for the, for the fitness centre. Oh, no. near university. Oh, no. <laughs> so all the worlds collided. Although she, it doesn't sound like it really, her worst fears came true, but she was horrified. She was like, what if the head of school walks past? And then probably the head of school would say like, oh, Jeanette, it's great that you're getting so into yes, exercise. And totally. More but people it was, should do that. Totally. Yeah. But it's like it clashes up against the idea of the academy so hilariously. But it's just an idea and it's so mm. flimsy. Oh, I and know. And once you like, look behind the cardboard, everyone's in there like working out. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, don't are. tell anyone I'm on the rowing machine. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I know, which also gives me flashbacks to when I used to go to this tiny gym that had a and saw a personal trainer, and he mm. would like while I was on the rowing machine go, "So have you written any poems this week?" <laughs> That's rough. Because like, you're trying to row. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but also, he was like the opposite. He was like being polite about my oh. other world. Oh, that's really which sweet. Which is really sweet and also yeah. really incongruous because yeah. you just go, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you don't know what to say. Yeah, I've got some Look, things I'm working on. It's like a single line stanza thing. 
<laughs> I'm experimenting with sonnets. Yeah. This week. <laughs> yes. So it was. So yeah. There's yeah. So a little bit of slogging it around, slogging around. But um, and oh yeah, and visual art. I just I go to the gallery like it's um like it's going to church. My partner always says, "Are you off to church?" Because mm. I don't go to church, but I do go to the National Gallery to just look the National Gallery of Victoria to just look mm. and again in the same way that I read poetry not in a an informed or sort of deep way but in a way that I would like to just see what happens uh, see what happens just using my eyes lots mm. of people do that that's not unusual but that's part of the balance for me 